Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. We have stage 16 of the Vuelta Espana in order for you. The recap of that as well as the Serra Tizid Challenge by La Vuelta. Kind of like a three-day women's welter Spaniard might have gone under the radar certainly did I was caught off guard by it and I do this for a living Benji uh reminded me about it so I'm not sure whether that's my fault or not but anyway we'll be half reviewing stage one of that as well at the end of this pod to the best we can because we haven't been able to see any coverage of it but as you know our welter pods are brought to you by Lacole they produce performance cycling apparel I've been getting out and about in my kit that I've God, I actually had to don the cap. I got a little little cap as well. I think Benji might have one have one as well. But after today's stage win, his head might be a bit too big for his Lacole cap. And it's been fantastic <laughs> in the Australian heat. Actually, um, it's been really weird weather over here in Queensland now. It's like thirty six degrees coming up this week. So I'll be testing it out on that and getting back to you. It's been fine, or more than fine so far. So if you want to check them out there, www.lacole .cc, link in the show notes and the description. Today's stage 16 from Salamanca de Ciudad Rodrigo, 162Ks, defined by two climbs. Rolling terrain, but nothing too sinister for the first 76 kilometers. And the Puerto El Portillo, 14.3Ks at 4.5%. That's a cap too, we don't know why. Then a descent, then a roller coaster climb called the Puerto El Robledo, Robledo, 11.8 k's at 3.9%, but it is a fake news climb. It's got first three k's at 4.7%, then there's literally three k's of descending, like genuine descending, <laughs> and then there is a three-kilometer section at 7.5%, then it flattens off again, then it's maybe 7% for the last kilometer or 800 meters. Very unusual sort of climb, uh, but that's a cat one. Definitely not a, actually a cat one. I think they just put that for KOM points. We said that in the preview yesterday. Then they got two short rollers, two Ks at 5%, and then a descent into the finish. There were some crosswinds projected, but, yeah, we'll see whether they were actually uh, strong enough to influence the race at all. But a, re- a, a kind of a PCM breakaway went, Benji, and explain what a PCM breakaway is. What do you mean with a PCM? Even I don't know what you mean with a PCM. Mihai said that on Twitter. Mihai said it on Twitter. I thought this was a PCM thing. He said with three Burgos guys in the break. He said that's a PCM breakaway. Uh, I guess. I guess that's a PCM breakaway. You're the god of PCM. Uh, I'm I'm not, but like (laughs) what I see as a PCM breakaway is you put your riders in that game. If you don't know what PCM is, it's Pro Cycling Manager video game about cycling. You can put riders in the breakaway at the start of a stage. And what happens with a PCM breakaway is that one rider from an, a random Pro Conti team is not there, and then the entire Pro Conti team decides, well, let's try and catch this breakaway, and they hunt you down for about 100 kilometers, and that breakaway gets caught, and then the peloton basically is fighting for the stage. So 
that's how it looks in a PCM breakaway these days. So I don't count this as a PCM breakaway. But looking at it, we indeed had three Burgos riders, Madrazo, Esguera, and Osorio. It started off with just Osorio and uh, I think it was Madrazo in the breakaway. So two of the same team. And then Esguera came towards them together with some other people. Remy Cavania once again, he's been in the break quite a few times already. And Rob Stannard as well. We've been talking about him quite a few times, perhaps overhyping him a bit. I'm not sure, but today was pretty strong. So I guess we can't say we were over overhyping him. Kobe Horsen's in there as well. Rider that I did not really have a clear sight on before we started this, uh, this Vuelta, but is a decent climber, staying in the top 25 for the first week and a half, has totally dropped out of that. Perhaps a decision, perhaps just not feeling it in the in the third, I, I can't say third week, but the latter part of this Vuelta. And uh, so that was a breakaway. That is six riders of which indeed have three Burgos riders. The breakaway itself, well, it was unexpected to already be launched at that point because you said it, crosswinds were kind of foreseen for this stage, but mainly in the first 25 kilometers, but nobody really used it. It took a bit until the full breakaway formed, but it wasn't that someone was actually trying to manipulate the race into a crosswind action at the start. And I think the only other part in the stage that a crosswind could happen would be in the last eight to seven kilometers, but we'll talk about that once we reach it. Throughout the stage itself, not too much happened, to be honest. We had the breakaway keeping up the pace, the peloton keeping up the pace, Stanard taking at the top of the first proper climb, the KOM points, but that's not going to matter much. We know who won that if he arrives at the finish. That's Guillaume Martin. So uh, I'm not too worried about the KOM jersey anymore. I feel like compared to the Tour de France, the KOM jersey in the Vuelta and in the Giro were quite decided pretty early on, I'd say. Giro maybe a bit later than the Vuelta, though. But this often stirs up the topic whether a... KOM jersey should be for breakaway riders that can climb or for the actual climbers in GC. I'm personally more for the breakaway climbers, but I know that a lot of people prefer it to be otherwise. And I think it being otherwise somewhat helps making it more intense towards the end of a Grand Tour. We saw that with Carapaz versus uh, Pogacar at the end of the Tour de France. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a thing that the Vuelta and Joe should potentially think about to try and make it evenly spread between the two the chances and that way kind of force it towards uh, a more intense final when it comes to that but yeah what's your take on that it's hard for them to really uh, they're trying their best with this stage design they're going into the third to or the second to last real stage obviously there's no KOM points in Madrid I don't think um but they're trying to give extra points for these two climbs bit of extra excitement maybe if the race was close but yeah martin it's like when you got someone who's a top 10 gc tour de france guy and he makes his goal to get in every breakaway and take the kom points it's uh yeah it's gonna be pretty hard for that to be a competitive fight at this point in the season in the welter as well um and it especially even in the uh the Giro, there were the similar issues i'm not sure if you mentioned benji but yeah between guerrero and was it visconti maybe was fighting it for him um, Hirschi versus Carapaz was kind of interesting for it actually until Hirschi crashed on that stage uh, before the, or maybe stage 18 or 19 before the ITT. Um, but yeah, it, it's a hard one to really get right. I think I don't mind what uh, ASO did with today's stage design. And yeah, it's just maybe 
maybe there's an issue with the whole KOM jersey. Is it even prestigious enough? Do, do riders, do anyone of note really care about it? It never goes to the best climber in the race um, unless they're riding for GC and they just get it inadvertently because they dominated the climbs. So, yeah, is it really? I mean, Cosner Frog wore it as a meme for like two and a half weeks in the Tour de France and he can't climb at all. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that needs a revamp uh, in all competitions, not just the Vuelta. But, yeah, a reasonably strong breakaway. I thought that, I think Benji said yesterday that I caught him on the hop that Magnus Court was going to win today's stage. I liked, I think, Philipson. Benji didn't mind Philipson either. Ackerman and Bennett, I thought Ackerman might get over these climbs. Bennett, I had no confidence in getting over the climbs. And, yeah, the break was pretty – what was the break's gap, Benji, going into um, the base of the second climb? They stayed away on the first climb. No one's really pacing too much. I think yeah, the gap was still about five minutes. Um, or maybe it was the first climb. The gap was like five minutes or so. And then, yeah, I think Ineos just started started shredding. Uh, into the breakaway and then I think yeah that was the first climb Ineos were pacing quite hard it was it yeah it was then Benji and then they got it to 350 they pushed the descent with Amador in front of Carapaz and then what did you what was the rationale or or strategy do you think for Ineos today Benji because they kind of had a Movistar to be honest they if Movistar did what they did today and Movistar kind of did do another issue like problematic strategy but what was that you could glean from the stage. What was Ineos' strategy in pacing the second, the, the second to last climb, eating into the breakaway, and then the last climb, re- like sort of hard and then not hard anymore? Yeah, I think that they were trying to make something happen. I don't know what the actual like full on plan was because these climbs are not hard enough to drop Roglic. He'd have to be in an actual ill day or something to have something happen in that way. So I think that they were trying to desperately try and enforce something on these climbs. And on that second climb, it was so clear that it wasn't going to influence anything if they kept going. And they kept going. And, well, Froome went for a haywire on that last ascension. And I believed at that point that perhaps they were trying to try something crazy. There was one moment where I thought that they were actually making an attack, but that wasn't per se on that climb anymore i think it was the part after it the the small bump after the final big climb where i saw i don't know who it was was it amador i think it was amador that moved up in the group and carapaz was following and if it wasn't for movistar who we went to directly do their wheel i don't think that they should have responded movistar and they should have left jumbo do it but then again if movistar wants a stage and yeah it, it's kind of hard because so You've got Amador trying to attack together with Carapaz. It's not at a crazy attack base. If you're Movistar, you can choose to let them go and put some pressure on their jumbo. But you know as Movistar that Maz is not in a position to win this Velt anymore. So why would you risk losing a chance for a stage to try and force jumbo into a chasing? I don't believe that they have the same the same goals anymore. I don't think that Mars has any question or any chance of uh, getting the red jersey at the end, the end of this belt, and I think he knows that, and I think that's why they went into the wheel of Carapaz to not let him just ride away that way. 
Roglic was a bit behind the group of uh, Movistar, behind the team of Movistar, not the group, same group. And he was in a strain with Jumbo, so he probably could have been able to like catch Carapaz and Amador if they got away. So all in all, pretty desperate attacks. I do have to add that um, at that moment in the peloton or just behind the peloton, Steinle actually had a crash. It was in the middle of the second, well, the biggest last climb, that Robledo climb. And we saw, we said it like yesterday, this is a fake news climb. You've got a small uphill at the start, then you've got a small descend in the middle, and then it starts going up and going up. And in that descend in the middle of that climb, we noticed that it was getting very technical, that descend. And as a consequence, I did expect someone to have trouble. At the front, we saw that Cavagna was kind of kind of taking the corners a bit odd at that moment. So it was getting technical. Then again, we have some history with Kavanyov having horrible descents. We already saw that he's better than descending in other races. So he's just a bit inconsistent, I guess. But Steinle at the back had a pretty rough crash. And eventually there's images from after the race where he arrived and his whole left side of his body is just a bloody knee. His, uh, his hip is the his kit is cut on his hip, so I guess he needed a local kit that might have prevented this. But in general, I do believe that he might have a, a pretty rough sleep tonight. Hopefully, there's no sticking injuries there. Hopefully, there's nothing major. Um, his teammate Bajoli already left uh, the Vuelta today with just abandoning. So if they lose another one, then the Koenig might just end with a limited amount of riders for Bennett to try and take home the Madrid stage. But anyway. We were on that final climb with the breakaway as well. We saw that Cavagna made a bit of a move. Remy Cavagna launching away from that breakaway. And there was one rider from that group that was able to follow, Robert Stannard. And we know that he's got a bit of a punch. He's got a bit of a of a climb to him. Cavagna doesn't have that real punch, but he's got the real what consistent watching on the on the pedals. And uh, those two riders were pretty, pretty strong together from that point onwards. I think they were together for the majority of the climb, then went downwards into the descent of the Robledo. And that is where they entered an area, I think, with a good 15, 14 kilometers to go that was quite windy, and that favors Cavagna. And Cavagna made a bit of a move to try and drop Rob Stannard, who was working really well even on the flat sections. And he actually got away from, from Rob Stannard, and Stannard was dropping to the peloton, who was only a limited 20 seconds, 15 seconds. It was closer, I think. It was... Actually, around 10 seconds at the moment, Rob Stannard. What, sorry? They got it to six seconds. They had Cavanagh within six seconds when Stannard got dropped by Cavanagh. That's crazy. Um, and then Cavanagh was obviously holding something back. And also, Movistar had got to the front. Nothing had happened. They're on the flat. And they were like, why are we here? <laughs> just <laughs> kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. I feel sorry for Andre Amador. We've already sung his praises a hundred times on this podcast, but he's literally doing the job for three people right now. Uh, whatever they're paying him with at Ineos is well worth it. Sosa once again. And obviously if he's got an injury or something, I'm not trying to be a douche about it, but uh, we have to call it out. Sosa again gone missing today. Um, not, is, is he? Have they said anything, Benji? I'm not so good at nope. following the media stuff and interviews, but is he sick? Because I why is so. he? Why is he getting dropped on three k seven and a half percent when Ineos need him to be setting them 
a good pace to try and see if there's an issue with Roglic or Jumbo Visma maybe and instead Amador has to pull, realises he's getting no purchase on any on the group, doesn't really drop anyone of note, maybe drops, oh, doesn't really drop anyone, yeah, as I said, and Magnus caught the climby sprinters are still there and he's like, well, shit, if I keep pulling and Sosa goes, Carapaz will be isolated and so Amador just, yeah, dialed it back and real shame for Ineos, um, but it was, yeah, and a shame for them that Movistar chased. I always, I hate, I hate when teams that are maybe second, third or fourth position on GC chase each other when they can put pressure on the the first team to to chase. But maybe for Movistar, realistically, they're not getting Enric, uh, Enric Maas into first position, so maybe they do have to just chase the podium, guys. Still one of my pet peeves. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Cavanaugh looking really strong. You thought you called it, I think, Benji. You, you thought he was gone. My exact words were, Rene is going to solo this to the line. At least I hope so, because he was on odd seven on, on my betting website and I just put, like, $20 on him for fun. <laughs> so it was a financial biased pick at that point. But um, I was rooting all out for him. I, I knew from last year... He did something very similar, holding back a bit. And when the peloton came closer, he dropped the rest of the breakaway, launched off to victory in La Vuelta. And right here, he was trying to do the same thing. He was holding a bit back. And what a powerful rider. Like, generally, they needed five to six riders to try and control his the gap towards him because he had six seconds earlier. You said it. He had six seconds once Rob Sander dropped from his wheel. And he was Letting that grow. Six seconds, eight seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It went up to a solid 20 seconds, 21 seconds at max. And then we kind of switched between nine to eight kilometers from the line. You've got a switch from an area that is not too overly negative for a solo riders regarding the wind, but you go into a, a section that is a bit harder for a solo rider compared to a peloton. And the fact that multiple riders can relay in a peloton obviously starts helping at that point, and the gap went down slowly but surely. And I think with a good 10 kilometers, he still had 18 seconds, 9 kilometers, 17 seconds. And it wasn't until like 4 kilometers where his gap went down to a good 12, 11 seconds, and then it, then it starts collapsing because this last section has a bit of a bump and a bit of a false flat uphill in the end as well that honestly caused... Cavania to break and you saw him breaking and it was heartbreaking. Ah, uh, MVP of the of the day for me, Remy Cavania. Genuinely, I really adored that and I love these kind of solo attacks. We've seen it happen before with Kaiser and with Tony Martin in the past, where it works or it just doesn't work and it hurts if it not doesn't work. But it it's lovely if it does work. This one was a bit different though because eventually he actually got caught with a solid two kilometers to go. So. It wasn't super close, but uh, I was rooting for him all out. But we were heading for a sprint. And who was left? I think you've got the main real favorite for the sprint in that group, who I didn't even know was still there, was Magnus Court Nielsen on paper. Philipson was not in that group, to my knowledge. And if we look past that, we have to think about potential faster people. Middleton was also up there. They were trying to pace for Dion Smith, I think. And I think they, UAE, I think yeah. they made the difference today. I think Mitchelton helping Movistar actually was what brought back Cavania. Um, 
because most of weren't they had they were just keeping it at like 16 seconds and yeah, right. they kind of looked tight and then and then Mitchelton helping obviously riding for Dion Smith the Kiwi came top 10 in MSR like fifth in MSR and already got a couple of top maybe top 10s in this welter yeah they were riding for him you got Ackerman Phillips and Bennett dropped so the quickest men are not here you just basically got Magnus Court as the other on paper quick man he's already won two stages of the welter he's got a lot of wins on the Palmares Magnus Court and I actually thought he was 36. He's 27, but we'll get to him in a second. Um, <laughs> he's, way, he's way younger than I thought. Um, but, yeah, it was really, really hairy running. And Movistar have been working for the whole of the last 20Ks, riding, I was like, okay, so they've, they've gone from trying to maybe create – I don't think they were ever really trying to create a split Benji. They were never trying to create a split in the crosswinds because I think there were crosswinds. The whole time they were chasing the break. For Valverde. So, again, kind of insane to me, but maybe they realise Enric, Enric Mars is too far back and maybe he'd get dropped in the crosswind. So they're just chasing for Valverde. Ineos have been working and just done nothing but eating about three and a half, four minutes into the break earlier on the climbs for Carapaz, ultimately isolating him with just Amit tired Amador. And you've got Yumbo Visma fresh. They popped their heads up with two Ks to go on that lump. Benji mentioned that uh, kind of split it up even more. Not sure where Vlasov, uh, kind of trouble for Vlasov and Carthia. We'll have to look at the results to see where they came. But, yeah, Jumbo Visma kind of did a lead out for Roglic, keeping him right up there. You've got Fand across the road, UAE getting interested, Formolo leading out Rui Costa. Magnus Court pretty much on his own. I think maybe Woods let him out and put him in position. Dion Smith, got a, he's on the wrong side of the road. Valverde, I think, launches really early now going into the last 300 metres. He was left on the barriers um, with clear air, but by his team with no one leading him out. He he jumps at 300. I was like, oh, Valverde's got a nice gap here, but it was really, really <laughs> far from the finish. And then a very, very messy sprint. Roglic is right up there. Carapaz is trying to keep his wheel. And then Magnus Court comes from deep on no one's wheel and just straight up destroys everybody. I don't think anyone could have beat him regardless of what happened in, in today's sprint. I think he was clearly the quickest, came from deep and just, yeah, beat everybody pretty handily. And then Rui Costa, as court comes past, comes swings really wide to the right. Um, but I wouldn't say he's, like, launched his sprint yet. I mean, I'm, I'm sick of the deviation stuff, if you can't tell, even though we talk about it more than others um and he nearly chops Roglic but I, maybe nearly chops is a bit strong I would say he he causes Roglic to move to fan over as a domino effect to the right it wasn't like an Alaphilippe proper chopping of he or she in Liège um it was a step removed from that Roglic has to check stops pedaling for a bit being very very cautious obviously and then he eventually comes around gets a bit of a slipstream off court to the right hand side Dion Smith was way too deep and, um, yeah, Rolich, well, Magnus Court wins the stage handily, is able to post up by over a bike length. Rolich eventually beats Dion Smith, I think, on the line. Valverde fourth, or maybe Rui Costa was somewhere. I can't remember now because I'm looking at the results, but Rui Costa was up there, maybe third. And, uh, yeah, I think he was. And Carapaz was, was sixth. But then, I mean, for, okay, we'll get to Costa in a second, but Magnus Court, Benji, you picked him yesterday. Have you looked at his Palmares recently for a 27-year-old? He, he's been on a few teams. He's been on Michelin Scott, or the, when they were Orica Bike Exchange. 
Uh, he came up through them, actually. He was a trainee at Orica in 2014 when he was 21. He then went to Astana for two years, and I think his palmares were a bit dry at Astana, actually. He only got a Paris-Nice stage that I can see. And then now to EF this year, where he's won, he won one stage at Etoile de Bessege, but apart from that, a few top threes at Terreno. But today, the, easily the biggest win of this year for him and probably two to three years, I would say, looking down at his Palmares. Um, so a bit, really, really big win for him uh, today. But, yeah, where do you see Magnus Corp, Benji? What, maybe remind people, what sort of rider is he? He's a pretty special rider, to be honest, in the sense that he started off as a sprinter with the capabilities of getting over hills in the first years, and that's shown by his two stage wins in La Vuelta of 2016. That was the uh, the second year, I think, at Orica. And at that moment, he was, I think, one of the best sprinters that Vuelta, but we have to keep in mind that I think his main competition that Vuelta and sprinting was Johnny Meresman, who was not the top sprinter in the world. Even as a Belgian, I can definitely say that. And as a consequence, I do think that that perhaps overvalued him a bit at that point in his career, but he kept it up, man. He kept it up and perhaps against what I thought he would become because he was still a proper sprinter. He was doing pretty good sprints, but mainly on stage that have a bit of those hills that gets the real sprinters off the back. But he also started doing well in, in harder stages. And I think I recall somewhere, I think in the Tour de France 2018, he won a stage from Mio to Carcassonne, and that was a stage with a Cat 1 in the last 40 kilometers, the Piganor, 12-kilometer climb of 6.3%. And what he did was, on that climb, he dropped a tiny bit from the others, but not too much. And he used that descent to come back to the people and eventually outsprinted people he was with in that last kilometer. So, generally, he's also a breakaway rider. He can climb quite a bit, quite a noticeable bit. And I think the Vuelta's perfect in that because it's got hilly stages that and then sprints. This year a bit less. And I think I'd say because it's just a very odd Vuelta. I think that in previous years you've got way more finishes that would be actual hilly sprint finishes. But now there's three sprints of which one could... Well, there's three sprints, flat sprints. And then there's stages that we already had one with yesterday and now today that could end in a sprint but not really so it's perhaps a hilly sprint is that fit and yesterday he was not there so I was kind of disappointed I had him as a as a pick for yesterday personally and today I I genuinely only picked him because I couldn't think of anyone else on the spot so it's not a, a mind-blown pick I just thought about having a sprinter that could get in a sprint and finish it off but also in the breakaway and perhaps take it that way. And that's why I picked Magnus Court Nilsson here. But I'd like to take a, a short moment to pick in to why I think Valverde launched early. And I think the late attack by, I think it was Bruno Armirai for FDG that launched in the final kilometer. And he did it at the exact good moment for him and a terrible moment for Movistar. But the thing is, they've got three Movistar riders at the front there, the third being Valverde. So that's usually not enough from that point onwards to the finish because it was like 1k to go or so when the attack was really happening of Armidai. And the moment he attacked was the exact moment that the first of those three Movistar riders got off the front of that lead out and 
had the actual lead out already go at around 900 meters, which is impossible for a proper lead out. So the second last Movistar rider not only was unprepared for his own teammate to get out the front already, but was also just not totally strong enough to close the gap on himself, had to keep it at about 10, 15 meters. I was like, this is a great moment to attack accidentally. And I think Armirai might actually have an opportunity if that second Movistar rider isn't strong enough. But luckily for Volvare then, his lead out was strong enough to keep it on a solid gap. And eventually he clawed back towards Armirai. But at that moment, the Movistar rider was off the front, Fulvari was alone, and it was, I think, George Bennett that came on the left side of the road, passed everybody with not really Roglic in his wheel yet. And as a consequence, Fulvari took that wheel and thought, okay, perfect lead out. I'm getting a lead out by Jumbo. And at a good 350 meters to go, which is too far to launch your sprint, Bennett went out of the way. And he didn't really take the lead for too much, so Fulvari was in the wind again, had to launch extremely early, and I think that's why Fulvari launched too early and why his finish was getting fifth instead of potentially a, a top three but I don't think he would have beat Magnus Kort Nilsson anyway but that's roughly my my take on that uh Volvare lead out thingy but hey let's talk about Costa will we what's your take I don't think you can't relegate him for what he did you you can't because <sighs> I know that we bang the drum about safety and, and sprint deviations and how they've got to change the interpretation, but you can't relegate him today when you don't even mention Ackerman yesterday, which was much worse in my view. The Steinler quick reactions to save his front wheel getting chopped yesterday and Ackerman's swing out, much more dangerous. Um, and it's just... Now it, that is unfair when Roglic really wasn't in any danger. Roglic was pissed at the finish line. He, he screamed. Uh, you can see in the slow motion, if you see the front on, you can see him screaming, fuck. Um, I don't know whether he was mad that Costa kind of came across him. I don't know if he was mad he just didn't win. I don't know, probably probably because Costa impeded him. Um, but then again, Roglic was very tentative, justifiably. He's up there on GC and he's mixing it up in a proper sprint now for bonus seconds, of which he got six on Carapaz, by the way. So, yeah, I, I just don't think... I mean, okay, according to the rule, did he endanger Roglic? Not really, but I think the rule should be changed so that this is a clear relegation. I think the rule should be changed that if you deviate from your lane and impede another rider's lane from behind you, then... Yeah, I think you should be relegated, but that's not what the rule says. And if Steinler wasn't in danger yesterday, then Roglic certainly wasn't today. That's sort of the general interpretation of wheel chopping that Alaphilippe on Hirschi, dangerous. Ackerman on Steinler yesterday, not dangerous. Then the Costa one foot falls into the Steinler category, and I can't see how you can call this any differently. Yeah, I'm having a rewatch while I'm talking about it, but... I noticed the deviation. That was a clear deviation from like the le- the right side of our of the road from our view to basically two thirds into the to the other side. So he crossed more than half the way. But we know from saying it ten thousand times that once you do that, then you gotta endanger someone for it to count as a rule. Now I'm rewatching and it looks that he launches. And starts deviating when Roglic is just past the, just next to his back wheel. So 
from what I can judge from the front wheel and side angle, I think that he did hinder Roglic enough to potentially see it as a danger. It's not as clear for me as yesterday. I can definitely say that. I also can't find any top top helicopter view. I don't know if there is none because I genuinely can't find any after today's stage. Or perhaps I just found it. I think I just found it, but they switched to a normal angle. So I guess I'll have to try and find one to properly judge it. I think it's borderline. I think it's definitely not one if you don't do it yesterday. But I've said it before. I'm more of a person that tries to fix it in the future instead of saying that it shouldn't be fixed because something in the past wasn't wasn't done. But I just don't know. The rule is just not specified enough to count this as danger or not danger. And I, ah, it's hard. It's really hard to say. And for the, I think this is the first time in this whole f- like podcast history that we've done that I don't know if this is a relegation or not. It's so borderline and I didn't write the rules. I don't know how to interpret the danger. Uh, for me, danger is that you all, that, I don't know. For me, a danger would also be considered dangering your chances for the victory, but I think that's just nah, nah, a different nah, interpretation. Yeah, like, it's on paper, it's real danger, and I don't think that the Roglic was anywhere near crashing here, so I'd say that it's not a relegation, but it should be a relegation, so, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm on both ways. Yeah, I've lost it. I don't know. I genuinely don't know anymore. And I think that's the, that's the problem, because... This unfortunately gives fuel to the fire to the people who say the commissaires are destroying sprinting by trying to make sprints safer and because they will point to this relegation and say, really? Was really was Roglic really in danger here or just impeded and you relegated Costa? Um, you're destroying sprinting. And they can point to this one today and then we spend, we've spent the last whatever months on the pod and you've heard it talking about so many other instances. Go and look at Pascal Ackerman, Tour de Polonia, stage two. Hugo brought this up to me. He messaged me about this. He, he found the sprint of Ackerman that is exactly the same as his Shell de Prey sprint where he destroyed that rider's front wheel. And Tour de Polonia 2018, stage two, Ackerman wins the sprint, does the exact same thing, mirror image to Luka Meshgetz who just misses getting his front wheel chopped because he has to take evasive action and stop pedaling or maybe even had to brake. And Ackerman didn't get relegated. And they're the ones that I'm like, that has to be a relegation. Today, I'm very surprised they did anything. Maybe it was because it was the, the man in red who nearly got taken out, so it kind of added a bit of heightened scrutiny to it. But still, I don't think it affected the result at all. I don't think Rolich was going to be caught. Caught was too quick. So Roglic takes, yeah, some pretty good bonus seconds on Carapaz. Let me read you out the uh, the full GC picture right now. I'll read you out the top top ten: Court, Roglic, Smith, Valverde, Carapaz, Groschartner, Dorian Godon, Valgren, top ten today. Two names in the top ten, and uh, Yasha uh, Sutherland. Ninth, Vlasov, tenth, Poles, twelfth, oh, eleventh. So they didn't really lose any time. Roglic, 45 seconds now ahead of Carapaz, 53 seconds ahead of Carthy. I don't know where Carthy came. He was, yeah, he was way back. He was lucky today, Carthy, that they didn't put any effort in Movistar on the crosswind sections. He was very, very far back. 
Um, but yeah, Dan Mullins, a minute and 48 back in fourth. So we've got two things tomorrow, Benji, for stage 17. The, decide, the last real stage for GC, or the, yeah, definitely for GC in this year's Welter. Can Carapaz and Carthy mount an attack on Roglic? They're 45 and 53 back now. And can Dan Martin try and do something to get onto the podium? I'd love to see Martin on the podium. You know, it, it, I'd, I'd really like to see that. Um, he, but he's like a minute back or 50 seconds behind uh, Hugh Carthy, who's looked probably strong, well, definitely stronger than him in the climbs. And tomorrow's stage isn't that hard. The Alto de la Covatia stage, 178 k's. We've got a Cat 1 that's not hard, 14.1 k's at 5.3% that looks um, about uh, the first 4 k's are flat really, so it is more like 10, 9 k's at about 6.5-7%. Then you've got rolling climbs, 4.5 k's at uh, at 5.7%, 5.6 k's at 4.5%. You get my drift, a few cat three cat threes, and they got an easy cat two, 11.4 Ks at 5.1, 5.4%. It's got like, it's a bit rolly. It's got an, a 9% K in there. It's got an 8% K in there. All these volta climbs are very irregular. And then the last climb is the Covatia, which is, uh, yeah, the another fake news climb. 11.7 Ks at 7% on paper, mountaintop finish, but first four Ks are like 3 to 4% grade in, in average. Then you've got... Uh, some quick maths, I would say it averages about 85 to 9% for the remaining uh, 6 to 7 kilometres. Do I think anyone can overthrow Roglic tomorrow? Absolutely not. I think his GC is set in stone because Ineos don't have the manpower to really set anything up. I mean, what's Carapaz going to do? Right away from him at the base of the Covertia with Septus nah. and Vingegaard right there. Okay. Oh, okay. On that small cobble section with about eighteen kilometers to go. Oh, yeah, they've done it like the Tour de France. The unnecessary cobble section is there. Oh my god! Isn't that wait? Wait, what? Is that the first cat? But what is the number one about? No, section one. Okay, cobble section one. Okay, (laughs) that was confusing. (laughs) I was like, what? Okay, I forgot to read this out. (laughs) So this is the Candelario climb. It's eighteen k from the finish. They have an eight hundred. Oh, six hundred meter. 8.6% 8.6% gravel climb or whatever it is, dirt, gravel, cobbles, something where someone gets a puncture where we've had no <laughs> stages where we've had no stages where anyone can make up like two minutes, but they insert a gravel thing where if you have a puncture, you can ruin your whole GC after three weeks. So, yeah, I mean, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow, Benji? I think someone's going to puncture on that, and uh, I hope that it's no one special for GC. On the other end, I would have a good laugh. <laughs> I don't care who would puncture. I, I, I'd be just happy that someone punctures there. But then again, I'm a bad human, so I don't mind. <laughs> In the end, Alto I think that this stage is going to be a bit of a disappointment in the sense that I think Jumbo can control it basically all out and Roglic can control it once his team is gone on the Kovatia, if that is indeed the case. I think Kass is going to be all out for Roglic here. If it doesn't rain, and I don't think... I don't know. Is it going to rain? That's a really good question. Kovatia weather. I think if it rains, <laughs> then we're going to know for certain that it benefits on paper Carapaz. But to be honest, looking at it, uh, it's it's not going to be a horrible weather tomorrow. So oh, It's supposed to be showers in Sequeros where they start. 11 degrees Celsius during the day, 12 degrees. Could be colder, but then... It, I think it gets to just being cloudy in the afternoon. So, yeah, but nothing uh, 
nothing discussed in for tomorrow's stage, so I don't think the weather will affect it too much, to be honest. Yeah, I think so as well. So I'm going to go for... I think the Peloton will totally control it with Jumbo, but I would have loved to see Nospiter take this stage, but I think it's rather going to be the Peloton in which I... I'd love to see Vlasov take one, but this is a completely biased pick. I think Roglic takes it. So um, I think Roglic takes it, but I hope that Vlasov or Niles Peters do. Roglic deserves another crown on his on his wonderful season. He deserves another stage win, but uh, Vlasov has had a great season as well. Has not really gotten a real prize in a Grand Tour yet. And as a consequence, I'd love if he gets a stage win here to try and just be that extra step in his career and we've had him on the podcast he's a pretty cool guy and as a consequence i'm fine with him taking that i don't think anything will change in gc like you said perhaps well, i don't even think someone else will try and jump over anybody else if you look at gc then i just don't see it overly possible carapaz and coffee maybe if coffee drops carapaz with eight seconds it switches around it's possible yeah. i wouldn't say no to Sorry that, that but yeah that's possible. That is. But you look at this client, you look at the way this stage is designed. If you're down 30 seconds and the level is similar, which it is, if you're dropping Roglic on Angleroo, putting 10 to 12 seconds into him, you're not putting any time into him on this final climb. So the only way Carapaz or Carthy can beat Roglic on GC is some long range attack from far out somewhere on one of these rollers in the middle of the stage. You, you cannot gain that amount of time on this final climb. It's not long enough. It's The real climbing is like 7K is about 8%. So, yeah, unless Roglic completely capitulates, which is unlikely because it's a not, that very, not very long stage. He's looked fine today in the sprint. He's got the stronger team, and Ineos and EF don't have the a team that can just run a train for two hours and then destroy the base of this climb and put him under pressure. So... Yeah, something like Carapaz getting slipping away in the middle of the stage. Really, honestly, the only chance is for Carapaz to get in a massive breakaway. <laughs> Yama Visma aren't going to let that happen. Um, so I think a break could win tomorrow, to be honest. Um, Yama Visma, I don't think, will pace too hard. They're pretty conservative. Break could win. Nans Pateres would be a nice pick for that. But yeah, I'm going with Roglic for the stage win. Can't go past him. It's designed for him this stage. Um, and I think maybe if the break, people are tired, Guillaume Martin's wrapped up the KOM jersey, takes it easy. Yeah, Roglic as well, I think, has to take this. And I think I think Carthy could get into second on GC because Carapaz might pay a little bit for his efforts trying to beat Roglic in first, and that might cost him a spot. But last bit, last real stage of the, of the season, um... I think, to, oh, no, sorry, then we got the uh, Serratizit Stage 3 after that. So one of, probably the last male big mount stage this season, the last mount stage is, uh, yeah, in men or women. So check, tune in tomorrow for that. Uh, hopefully there's some GC action, but it is a pretty is a pretty rubbish route they've designed for this third week, if we're being honest. But moving on to that race that I just mentioned, the Ferratizic Challenge by La Vuelta. Three stages. Uh, the first one is pretty much a sprint, 82-kilometer sprint from Toledo to Escalona. Second one is an 8-kilometer ITT or 9.3-kilometer ITT from Boadilla del Monte to, yeah, uh, out and back, I think. And then stage three is also pretty much a sprint. It's in Madrid. Um, 
it's not very long either, 100Ks. they got some rolling climbs, but like Letizia Paternoster did well last year. It's, I expect the sprinters to do well there as well, uh, weather permitting. So we'd love to talk about this stage in depth, and we've not been lazy. I had time to watch it. I set aside time. There was no live footage. There's no highlights that have been put up yet. So we've seen nothing. We'll give you the spoilers now of what happened in this stage. Um, but, yeah, we've got to. I mean, go and watch the highlights when they're available. I think they're on GCN Race Pass. They are in Australia at least because, um, yeah, a bit of a shame. There's no live coverage. Apparently, they might be on Facebook tomorrow, but that's not really good enough. Um, but, yeah, today's stage, Lorena Veebs was always going to be the favourite, best female sprinter, pure sprinter in the world, in my view, young Dutch rider, and um, she's riding for Sunweb here. Pretty strong riders here. Sarah Roy's done well. Got Pat Noster, who I mentioned, um, but really... They're the main sprinters I had down on paper, Marta Bastianelli. But, yeah, Veebs won today's stage by pretty handily. I know there was a short rise at the end, but I didn't think that would bother her too much. I got her in my Velo Games team. Uh, she won Balsamo second, the Italian for Valcar. I actually thought a different rider was going to be sprinting for Valcar. Um, I thought it was going to be uh, Marta Cavalli, so I'm surprised to see Balsamo up there as well. Brennau, the ITT specialist, German national champion, third, and Yelena Eric for the Serbian fourth, Alice Barnes the Brit fifth, Zanardi sixth, Alexis Ryan the American seventh, Asensio eighth, Guazzini ninth, and Roy, as I mentioned, tenth, Ellen Van Dyke eleventh. Tomorrow is the ITT. The big showdown really is going to be between, I think, Van Vleuten, who's here, uh, one of the favourites for GC, but should she be? I don't think so, actually. Um, Ellen Van Dyke, the other favourite for tomorrow, and obviously Lisa Brenauer i got Brenau for tomorrow. It's a short ITT. Um, I've also got Brenau for the overall as well, ahead of Van Vleuten, unless Van Vleuten can do a long-range attack in the third stage. Um, but, yeah, there's not really much more to say about this, Benji. Do you have a different view? Because we haven't seen the footage and neither of you probably, except Lorena Vebs winning at the finish. Have you, have you got any different views on who'll win tomorrow or GC? Oh, it's a bit of a difficult one, I'd say. But, hmm, yeah. I don't know, really. We've got quite a few strong riders at the start, you said it, but it's just, I, I do want to touch on a different thing, and it's something that I saw on Twitter today from the race without spoiling too much of the actual way that it was written, and with 40k to go, I saw a tweet that the Peloton and the Breakaway were riding the wrong way at a intersection because they were sent the wrong way by a, a signaling oh, dude, yeah. or a signaling dudette, I don't know. Uh, which of the two but as a consequence yeah the race was stopped for a bit and it sounded UCI put this on Twitter and they put it on Twitter in a way where I was like are they going to continue or did he, did he mean stopped because it sounded like they meant actually stopped so I was really confused and eventually I heard that Weebus actually won so I'm, I'm, I was completely confused that the race was still being ridden. That's my take on it. And as a consequence, I'm very intrigued what those highlights are going to be like. Definitely if it covers anything with people going the wrong side, that'd be funny. But I think all in all that, it yeah, it's, it's a mistake. It can happen in races. It shouldn't happen. But I think that it's more likely to happen in a women's race than a men's race because I think they're not organized as well in most occasions. I think Flanders Classic is the only organizer that I have full trust in when it comes to organizing women's races as well, personally. This is a Women's World Tour event. 
It's mandatory that there is, I think, 40 minutes live broadcasted coverage, live coverage. There wasn't any today. When that didn't happen in the Giro Rosa, there was an almighty stink. And the Giro Rosa was pretty much that organizing. The organizer of the Giro Rosa, I think, is pretty much volunteers. So, I mean, right to criticize them, but I've not really seen the same outpouring. LFR mentioned this on Twitter. I've not seen the same outpouring of um, correctly directed anger about this. I know it's late in the season, but come on. It, the women races, they barely have any stage races. And I know it's only three stages with the, you know, basically two sprints and ITT, but still, it's kind of like the women's uh, Bink Bank tour to me. And, um, it's a real shame that we couldn't see this first first stage um, and hopefully that can improve even by tomorrow, but we will see. Um, I'll go and try and see if the highlights have been fed. It's not GCN's fault, by the way, and I'm not shilling for GCN. I've got no financial, we've got no financial affiliation with them at all, but they can only provide people with the highlights or whatever they're given by the broadcaster. They don't have any control over that. I see sometimes people getting angry at them when they're like, hey, we've tried to buy the rights, we have bought the rights, and they've not, we've not been sent what we uh, thought we were getting or we'd love to have the live rights. So, um, yeah, I think they're, they're probably not, I don't know what they're thinking, but if I was them, I'd be pretty cranky too. But that's all from us today. Can't wait to see what happens in the world to tomorrow. It's been a long 50 days and nights in the desert for Benji and I. If you want to <laughs> check out some really good road cycling kit, Check out LaCole at www.lacole.cc. They support the podcast, so go and support them and give us a review or a rating on the Apple Play if you've enjoyed all this coverage throughout the last, well, since lockdown, basically, or since the Tour de France, because um, we've enjoyed every minute as well. But that's all from us today. We'll see you tomorrow. Ciao. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.